the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Christmas is on the way. Everyone excited for that? Yeah? Can I hear a jingle bells? Yeah, I don't know why I said that. But it's, so Christmas shopping is well underway, right? For those of us who are organised, not me. Um, and maybe, just maybe this year, we're going to nail it and you're going to get presents that every single person likes, that there will be no darts. Um, but as much as we hope that, um, we usually fail at that. Um, Christmas presents that are duds, dud gifts are inevitable. Um, and dud gifts, dud Christmas gifts, actually cost Australia a lot of money, half a billion dollars every single year. That's crazy, right? People giving gifts that are just like, oh, yeah, thanks. Half a billion dollars. Do you know who figured this out? Gumtree. And these dud gifts, there are dud gifts that are obviously duds, like the scented candles and such. Um, but there are other gifts that are duds and we don't realize it. And we hold on to these gifts that are duds because we think they're so awesome. Um, and year after year after year, they're just hurting us. For example, imagine this Christmas, someone gives you a baby chimpanzee. So cute, right? So cool. In four years, that thing's going to rip your arms off. It's a dud gift that looks good, but it's going to hurt you in the end. And we're, we're going through this series at the moment, Return to Sender, um, because we have a Heavenly Father who loves to give gifts to his children, loves to give good gifts to his children. Um, and, and there's not a dud in there. But there is also this, the father of lies, the devil. And he likes to slip in duds because he wants to ruin us. And so with this series, Return to Sender, we are calling out the dud gifts and sending them back. Imagine this. And for some of you, this isn't going to be too hard to imagine. That someone has burned you so badly. And they've hurt you so much. Over and over. Deliberately. You can walk away from that. You can leave them behind. Because that negativity and that hurt, that's just dragging you down. That's exhausting. So walk away. Delete them from your life because you don't need that negativity. You don't ever need to speak to them again. Can you imagine a sense of relief from that? What a gift. Wrong. That's a dud gift. That, that is unforgiveness. And we've got to return that one to the sender because it's going to hurt us. It feels good at the time, but like a baby chimp, that's going to rip us to pieces. But this dud gift unforgiveness, it's a really hard one to give back. Um, Because it's not easy, because our situations can be really messy and complicated, and how do you actually get, give that one back, and how do you get rid of it? How do we do it? Let's ask God for wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the good gifts you give us, more than we can ever hope or imagine or even recognize. And God, we know We know unforgiveness is bad, and that's not from you. And you have something so much better. And God, it's so confusing trying to work through it in the middle of it. 
please give us wisdom now as we look at your word. Holy Spirit, please minister to us. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of the best places to go for wisdom is Jesus. Um, and he had a fair bit to say about forgiveness. Um, if you go to Matthew 18, um, if you've got a pew Bible, that's page 823, 824. Matthew 18. He takes... He approaches this whole topic of forgiveness from a whole bunch of different angles um, as you go through the whole chapter. But when you have someone who has done the wrong thing by you, um, he's like in, in verse 15, he says there's a way to approach them, a proper way to approach them. And if it doesn't work the first time, don't give up, go back, but do it discreetly and get help and go after them like a sheep that's gone missing from the flock, like the one missing from the 99, go after them. And he says, if they don't repent, we'll treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, which are two groups of people that Jesus continued to show grace to, that he actively pursued and welcomed. So those people like that you're going after, keep praying for them, just like a lost person needing rescue. And then Peter says, well, how many times am I meant to do this, to forgive a brother who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus replies, 70 times seven, or 77 times, depending on the translation, whatever. It's a big number. And while their heads are still spinning from that, 70, 77 times, 70 times seven, what? While their heads are still spinning from that, and before they can get overwhelmed by that, he gives them this story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. So when you get your head around this, right? One talent, if you've got the ESV, it'll tell you there at the bottom of the page. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for a laborer. 10,000 times 20 years. 200,000 years' wages. Jesus is going big here. He's going to the very limits of what the disciples can hold in their heads of how much someone might owe. 200,000 years wages. You imagine this, just trying to get our heads around it. Imagine someone has 50 years of useful work in their lives. We probably have more than that, but 50 is a nice even number and I'm not going to go with tricky numbers. But that's 4,000 lifetimes to pay it back. And that's without ever thinking you're going to incur any more debt. That's just thinking that whole time that you are not going to live on any money yourself. And, and that's not even thinking about interest. So maybe let's go to 5,000 lifetimes, right? 5,000 lifetimes. And you're not going to pay it back. I think of, um, I, mean, I used to work in this factory, and every morning when you get there, you have to get this card from this side and just in the time clock. And it would say, Jeremy's one minute late and then put it over there, which means you're getting paid one minute less and you're getting a talking to from the manager. <laughs> but whenever I did that, just that ka-chunk, it was a little piece of me died inside. Can you imagine doing that for how many lifetimes did I get to? 5,000. 5,000 lifetimes. Ka-chunk. Feel that. Do you feel that? That hurts, doesn't it? It hurts a lot. This is how much this person owed. And it's a debt that he is never going to be able to pay back. 
And we, you know where I'm going this, we have a debt that we are never going to be able to pay back. I don't have 5,000 lifetimes. I've got one, and I'm halfway through it. And I'm in no better position now halfway through than I ever was to pay back God for everything that I owe to him. Because I just waltzed into his world, taking hold of anything I could without even acknowledging him. I've sinned against God more than I know. And just one sin equals infinite debt. 10,000 talents just seems conservative for my life. That's massive debt, massive debt. 10,000 talents. No wonder the king gets a little bit antsy. And since he couldn't pay his master, and since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Our sin, it's not only massive and hefty, um, and it weighs heavily on us, 200,000 years worth of it or more, it takes others down too. There is a serious collateral damage that comes from sin. That our sinful actions, they hurt us, they make this massive debt on our shoulders, but they hurt others too. This servant, he, he has this debt that is way out of control and it's about to take down his wife and his children. And it's still not going to cover the debt because they're going to be sold into slavery and I'm sure it's not going to be equal to 200,000 years wages, what they're going to get for this poor, wretched family. Our sin has this effect, not just on us, but on the people around us. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine, like the disciples, they're like, oh, trying to get my head around that whole 200,000 years thing. And now Jesus has just said, and he forgave the whole debt. The disciples, like their jaws are dropping and they're like, no way, dude, that's crazy. 200,000 years just written off like that. And it is crazy, and it is massive, and we should have that kind of feeling, but don't miss um, why the king reacts. Because the king's not convinced by what the servant said, by his offer, because he knows that it's pathetic. But the king has pity for him. The servant said this stuff to him, but it's not, I'll pay the debt that matters to the king. It's, have patience with me. And this is key. Because God isn't wanting us to work everything out in our own strength. I'll pay the debt, I'll pay the debt. He's wanting us to fall on our knees and cry out to him for mercy. Have patience with me, have mercy on me. But that's not how we deal with unforgiveness. Because we'd rather work things out ourselves. Unforgiveness actually comes because we can't believe that that person would do that to me. Can't believe that. And what they've done is so horrible, it's fallen so far below my standards for them and my standards for anyone that I'm going to hold them to that. And right now, I'm going to become the judge. And not only the judge, but I'm going to become the executioner and I'm going to be the one making sure that they get 
justice served on them for whatever it is that they have done. I can't believe they did that. And there is no way I'm going to let go of this. And there is no way I'm going to trust that God will be able to deal with this properly. Because unforgiveness is actually saying, God, I can't trust you with this. We cling on to unforgiveness so that justice can be done our way. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him, owed him a hundred denarii. That's one day's wages is one denarii, denarius. A hundred, a hundred days wages. Three and a half, four months work. That's a big amount. But you can get your head around that, right? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. seizing him he began to choke him and Jesus is like he's telling this story and he's painting a bit of a caricature because this guy is a jerk right what a low life he doesn't just ask him to pay the money back but he grabs hold of him desperately and violently seized him and he choked him saying pay back what you owe So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Because we want, we want that justice. We want what's ours. And we grab hold of others and we demand it. And sometimes we're so worked up that we will actually do that physically. But a lot of the time, the way we do that, the way we seize others and we choke them, is much more subtle. We do it with unforgiveness. That we just choke them out. Because they did something that crossed me. Or they did something that crossed my friend. And then you see these splits. These rifts, these factions start to develop within a church because I can't believe what they did to me or I can't believe what they did to my friend. And now I'm going to choke them out. And now it's getting even more complicated because I don't know who else I need to choke out because of that, because they might be on their side. And I, you see where it goes with unforgiveness? That when you're holding on to something like that, it creates all these splits and rifts within this room. Your loyalty to one person makes you think that, well, I need to hold unforgiveness too towards that other person. And they're choked out. And we are choked out from them and from each other. And meanwhile, people look on and they are greatly distressed. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. There is a serious collateral damage For sin, there is serious collateral damage for harboring unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness is a dud gift. It looks like a great one when you receive it, but it hurts everyone around you. All these rifts, all this stuff happening. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like getting a drum kit for Christmas. You're like, yes, a drum kit. And you take it to your room, and you set it up, and you start knocking out this beat on your drum kit, 
and you're just smashing it as hard as you can, and you're feeling really good because all your tension and your frustration, your aggression, you're working out on this drum kit. Every time you hit that snare, it feels amazing. And it's hurting everybody else in the house. It sounds so good to you, and it feels so right to you, and they know it sounds horrible. That's what it's like. Unforgiveness. It's a dud gift, like a drum kit. I'll ask you a few questions. How is your unforgiveness hurting your family? The things you're holding on to, harboring resentment, bitterness. Can't believe they did that. Can't believe you did that. And think about the people around you. How is that hurting your family? What kind of rifts is it creating there to those closest to you? How's it hurting the people here in this room? How's it causing your unforgiveness? How is that causing others to walk on eggshells around you? How's it tempting them to cultivate that same resentment? Are you angling for people to join your side? I can't believe they did that. Can you believe they did that? How are you selling others out when you do that? It's an awful, shameful thing. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and they reported it to their master, all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He's never paying it off. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That feels really hard. He wraps up the story and the narrative of it is very, is very satisfying that, that it all is wrapped up like that. You have scene one with this servant who's forgiven, then scene two, he goes and he doesn't get it, and then scene three, justice comes. And it's satisfying, but it's horrible as well. I was reading this passage to my kids the other morning at breakfast, and when we got to the end of it, my daughter has her hands over her ears. <laughs> She's like, no, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this, because it's horrible. She's right. <laughs> the servant doesn't get the point, and he's punished, and he's trapped, and he's tortured until he can pay the debt, which he's never going to do. And that's the horror of it. It's a debt that can't be repaid, and he is stuck in unforgiveness forever. If we don't grasp something of the love of God, just something of the love of God shown in his forgiveness to us, then we're still stuck. But God, God can forgive because he's the one who has the means to do it properly and that's where we've got to start. Jason read earlier from 1 Chronicles 29 and then Georgia did as well. This is really cool how this is all coming together. It says this, All that is in the heavens and the earth is yours, God. All that is in the heavens and the earth is yours, God. This is what this means. Anything hurtful done to anyone on this earth or in the heavens 
is done to God's property. Anything hurtful that is done to you, any sin against you is a sin against God himself. That's crazy, hey? But when we see things from that perspective, that all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours, God, that we belong to him, and all sin done on the earth is sin against him, all sin done against me is, is sin against him, then he is the one who sees it for what he is, and he is the one who can actually deal with it the way it needs to be dealt with. And he is the one with the means to forgive that 200,000 years and infinity of debt that I have, that you have, that everyone has, and the shame that's choking us out from each other. He is the one who can restore and heal. And here is why, because Jesus Christ died for our sins. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, the record of our debt that stood against us. 200,000 years of debt that stood against us. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Impossible, soul-destroying debt that stood against us. Jesus took all of it and he nailed it to the cross. Gone. You don't say to Jesus, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. That's impossible. You say, have mercy on me because I can't pay this. And Jesus cancels your debt. No way, dude. That's crazy. A lifetime of sin and shame and debt just written off. And Jesus says, yeah. Yeah. And when we get a handle on, on this, this incredible, mathematically impossible, vertical forgiveness from God to us, then the horizontal forgiveness starts to flow. Jesus says forgive 77 times, 70 times 7. And, and we're like, wow, that's hard. And how are we going to do that? Because this is complex. And it's, it's going to take a lot of thought how do we act this out, this forgiveness? I get it, I get that, but how I act this next bit out, that's going to take a lot of wisdom and grace. Because hurt shatters and, and creates these factions and rifts, and it's going to take a lot of healing. And if you're holding on to unforgiveness, it's a dud gift. If you're harboring this unforgiving heart, then... Chances are it's because the way forward doesn't seem very clear-cut. I want to say, get some help. Seek some wise counsel. Jesus says just before this that where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm right there amongst them. And he's not just there twiddling his thumbs. He's there saying, yes, come on. Let's restore things. Let's bring some unity. This is what I'm here for. This is what I want. I want to heal, I want to restore. Don't do it on your own, get some help. The way forward, it might not seem clear, but I want to give you the very first step tonight, just the very first step. This is where it starts. That grace, forgiveness, is so sweet. And unforgiveness is so, so bitter. I'll give you this illustration. 
I love buying gifts for people at Hague's. And it's because that's never a dud gift. Everyone's going to love it, right? But also, when you take it up to the counter and you give it to the, the person behind the counter and you get a card and boom, boom, and then they're like, would you like to try a sample? And then you think to yourself, hmm, Hague's, I wonder what that tastes like. Because, like, you've never ever had it before. And you think, yes, I think I will, thank you. And you hold out your hand and then they slip on the white glove and then they go and they pick out the, the little pastilles, the little chocolate buds, and they drop one or two into your hand. And you're like, thank you so much. And then you walk out with your bag of Hague's that's going to win you best gift of the, of the season and um, these little milk pastille. And you put it in your mouth. And you've only got one or two, so you don't want to rush this, right? You just sit it on your tongue. And the warmth of your mouth is just starting to... You're getting this in your head. You're starting to melt this chocolate ever so slowly on your tongue. And you start to smell the chocolatiness of it. That these cocoa beans that have come all the way from Papua New Guinea and lovingly roasted by some old man in the Hague's factory until the cocoa beans just split and you get this lovely hint of smokiness to the Hague's chocolate. You're starting to smell that, right? And you're feeling it on your tongue, this high-quality cocoa butter that's just silky smooth and the sweetness of it is just... You got it? Hague's chocolate. So sweet, right? And then someone comes up with a wedge of grapefruit and just jams it in your mouth. Ah, that's so bitter, it's acrid, it's blah! Grapefruit is the worst joke at the best of times. But in that context, you think about that. What are you going to do with the grapefruit? Spit it out of your mouth. Because it is so bitter, because you have tasted the sweetness of the chocolate and you just want the sweetness of the chocolate again. You get it? You get where I'm going here? When we suck on the sweetness of grace, when we let it linger and melt in our mouths and our souls, how much? 200,000 years of kachunk that God has just nailed to the cross and set us free. And that is so, so sweet, right? You feeling the sweetness of that? It's eclipsing Hague's by a long, long way, long, long, long way. That sweetness in our souls, then our appetite for unforgiveness, which is just bitter, grapefruit, bitter, bah. You're going to spit that out. You're going to be protected from it. You're going to find that kind of thing totally unpalatable. I don't, I don't want to go there anymore. Just reflect on how much you've been forgiven. 5,000 lifetimes more of forgiveness. Think about this. Imagine if that servant got it. Imagine if he had realized that he'd let it go and sink into his heart the enormity of the forgiveness that he'd just received and that it just shifted his heart and shifted his head and the way he thought and his mindset from this mindset of debt to a mindset of grace. Imagine if he forgave that other servant. I said, yeah, I've been forgiven so much. I'm not going to hold this against you. Please, go free. Those other servants looking on, what are they going to do? 
They're going to be shocked still, but in the best possible way. They're going to run back to the king and they're going to say, ah, you're not going to believe it. What you did, it's catching and it's spreading and it's beautiful. Unforgiveness, it comes from living in a debt world and living just feeling like we need to hold on to every scrap of anything we can. Chunk, because that costs so much, I'm holding on to everything. But followers of Jesus Christ live in a grace world. And we don't need to, to scrap anymore. We don't need to cling on to stuff anymore. We don't need to try and figure out justice for ourselves anymore because we have a good God who gives us so much. Romans 8, that God, he gave us, if he's going to give us his own son, he's not going to hold back from giving us every single good gift we need. That's a grace world that we live in now, and it tastes so sweet, and we don't want to go back to that bitter, bitter world. God would give us all these good gifts, but we might give it on to others as well. How beautiful, how beautiful would that be? For us to do that. How beautiful for the people looking on. How beautiful for the person we're forgiving. Hopefully, they get it. How beautiful for us. How beautiful for God looking on and getting all the glory. Unforgiveness is a dud gift. It seems good. It seems helpful. It seems like a relief. It seems like a a way of getting justice, but it's a dud gift. Slipped under the tree in an attempt to just wreck us. Return it to sender. And don't forgive the sender, the sender, the evil one, for slipping that one under the tree. Unforgiveness, it seems like a way out. It seems like the most reasonable way to get a handle on a horrible, horrible situation. But it's short-sighted because it hurts you. It hurts the people around you. It reveals a lack of insight into the extraordinary loving forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. It shows our sense of taste is off. And it betrays a lack of faith in God that he actually knows better and feels more clearly the wrong that has been done to you and that he will actually do something good and right about it. So I want you to meditate on the debt that's been cleared for you. Get a taste for that, the sweetness of that. Marvel at how many untold years of debt you've chalked up and he's just wiped it clean. It's gone. Like Tony said, recapture the wonder, the awe and the beauty of the gospel. That's where it starts. Let the Holy Spirit begin to handle your unforgiving heart. He's going to call us to do tricky, challenging things, but it's a good gift that he gives us. It's one we don't want to return. Getting rid of that unforgiveness gift, this is where it starts, is by seeing that the gift that God gives is so much better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We fall before you because you have forgiven a debt that we would never be able to pay. You're patient, but we would never be able to pay that. And we praise you that Jesus has cancelled our debt. And we are living in grace now with all your good gifts 
flowing towards us more than we can imagine. God, please forgive us for holding on to things, for holding on to hurt, for not trusting you. God, we haven't trusted you. And I know it's really hard for many people here to let go of things. God, help us to cling to you and get a taste for how sweet your forgiveness is. That we would be repelled by any sense of bitterness, any sense of unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, please work in us. Please help us to work this through. This is the first step. Help us to find forgiveness and give it and give all the glory back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.